You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths, Joe Hopkins with me here in studio and out of studio is the one and only Mike Chappell as well. We will preview the Colts home opener coming up this weekend against the Minnesota Vikings, break down Minnesota's squad, some keys to the game, make some predictions, of course, and go over our predictions from last week, which I'm uh, not, not that any of us are proud of last week's prediction. I, I am the least not proud of last week's prediction. So, so we'll say that, but uh, before we get to the news for the week, I'm already throwing you a curveball, Joe, that's not on the rundown, but I'll, I'll start off by saying, um, uh, if, if you don't subscribe to the Colts blue zone podcast, please do so now, especially now during the regular season, where we typically bring down two every week, one that kind of recaps the game with Joe and Mike on Monday and this one that drops on uh, on on Thursdays that has all, all three of us together looking forward. But but since I didn't get my chance to to kind of look back that like you guys did on Monday, I'm going to briefly give you just my two overarching opinions for, from the game. I was there in Jacksonville for all the glory. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you three, actually. First of all, the Colts have not won in Jacksonville since 2014. Um, and, and I arrived in uh, in Indianapolis in 2014. So you all can blame me for for this streak and i, I typically that makes sense. yeah I, i'm typically the one to go down to jacksonville too because i mean i came here from florida i have some friends down there i i, I like that trip uh so so you can you can all blame me for for the failures in jacksonville first of all number two um i'll, I'll make one defensive one offensive observation before you move on Two, like, it, you can be a bend and don't break defense but but what they did on sunday they they bent like gumby and it, it, you have to bend a, a little bit less, maybe like plywood, like it just a little bit of malleable in there. Like let, let them move a little bit. Mike, uh, 19 of 20 for uh, Gardner Minshew is not going to win you too many games. That, that was the first thing that I that I noticed from the defensive side of the ball. That just there was way too much bend in, in what that defense was able to do in Jacksonville. Yeah, I tried to find some numbers to kind of pound that home in the last four games. The Colts have given up the two top quarterback passing games in NFL history in terms of completions. Remember Breeze went 29 for 30? I do remember that. And then Minshew goes 19 for 20. All the years with Peyton Manning we watched in practice, we always said had the ball never hit the ground. Even in seven on seven, it's tough to go 19 for 20. It, it just is, and you can't. You can't play defense when, when, when you have this. And even pros tried to say, well, you know, there were really 29 dropbacks and we sacked him four times. And we made him scramble five times. But you keep coming back to 19 for 20. And if they allow mid-level, top-level quarterbacks that kind of consistent time, it's just difficult. Remember when Anthony Walker told us the goal was 40 – takeaways so now they need 40 and 15 games so it's it's got to get better and then on the uh, go, go ahead so, so are you saying Minshew's not elite is that what you're saying i'm saying he's played about 15 games or so <laughs> so that, that, and that, that's the problem it, it is yeah they got four sacks on him but 19 for 20 and in a couple of them you know the, the one touchdown the winning touchdown was just xavier Rhodes, former vikings pro bowl corner i mean Somebody needs to explain to me why a corner in in man coverage peaks in the backfield. I mean, what, 
that this is your guy. And so it, it is, you hope they got all out all early to, 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 to not be an apologist, but they did like 10 things wrong and still could have won the game. Now, I don't know whether that's encouraging or not. I don't know. But uh, for those of us that had them going nine and seven or, or 10 and six, now they got to find one that we didn't expect them to win to get to where I thought they'd be. And my observation on the other side of the ball on offense was like, th- this might be harsh. This might be the harshest thing I've ever said about the Colts uh, coaching staff and especially Frank Reich. But it was re- it was darn close to malpractice. I thought the way they called that game for Philip Rivers, making him throw as much as he did with the running backs you have with the offensive line you have. It, it was not the it was not the best job by the offensive line running the ball, I think, this last weekend. But you didn't give them enough opportunities to to break the big one. It's something that you've stressed all offseason, all offseason. You're not going to make Rivers win the game. You're going to run the dang ball. You're going to keep going. You're going to keep going. And then you bring in a guy like Jonathan Taylor because he can bust that long game, that long run. And I'm sure losing Marlon Mack hurt. It absolutely did. And it's gutting to, to the team, to Colts fans, to everyone except Joe Hopkins that Marlon Mack, but seriously, seriously, like on a completely serious note, no one is like everyone hurts for Marlon Mack because he was, he was a great young kid. He had a great attitude coming into this year. Um, sharing time with Jonathan Taylor. He, he, he embraced it. He took on the challenge. He wasn't afraid of it. At least he certainly didn't show any signs of that to the media, but, but, but Mike, I was just, I was so stunned. And Frank Reich said he fell in love with the past a little bit. The passing game was working early on. So maybe looking back, he could have done things differently, but you, I was just, I was floored to keep seeing them come out series after series and keep going through the air and they moved the ball through the air. They can't, they continued to move the ball. They never punted for crying out loud. So you can make that argument that, well, they were doing things that work. They just never really finished in the red zone. But at, at the same time, I really do think the more that you ask Philip Rivers to do, the more you're going to see what we saw this last weekend, where he gets into situations where he throws that costly interception. You want to take away those opportunities to do that. You want to run the ball, which is your strength. And, and so, so those are my two observations about this last week, Mike. I, I think that looking for, moving forward, I, I would anticipate seeing them run the ball a little bit more than they did in week one. Yeah, my fear, and it still sort of is, is they've gone from a quarterback who would not push the ball down the field, really, I mean, with Brissett, he wouldn't do it, to one more than willing to. And then when you have success, maybe you get a little infatuated with that success. Uh, and if you want, if I want to be devil's advocate, I say, well, you know, they had 17 passes to the running backs. Some of those are extended handoffs and yada, yada. I think there's some validity to that. But at the same time, there were three massive plays where you are demanding that your offensive line step up and and be one of the best lines in the league. Fourth and one, I mean, it's a three-yard line, and and you're going to go up 14 to nothing, and then who knows uh, where it goes. And then Jonathan Taylor had a second one and a third and one where he got stuffed. So that's those are those are the positions where – when you've got this line, three first rounders, a second rounder, all pro, all this stuff, that's where you've got to lean on them. And you talk to any great back, I don't, I'm not putting Taylor there at all. I'm not. But Adrian Peterson, back in the day with Barry Sanders, you'll see five carries for nine yards, 
minus three, and then on that seventh or eighth or the twelfth, they go thirty or more. That's what you need. Like you said, that's what they, they preach is more big plays in the run game. Well, then then run it more. I think the first half they had ten runs. That's just crazy. Now, now part of that was that the first half they had the two minute drill or whatever, so they throw the ball six or seven times. But he, even Frank Reich admitted that I've got to call more runs. If that's what you're going to be, th- then do it. And again, a lot of times that one game, it, there's knee jerk, and it, it, it's not like that in game two or whatever. But what you want when you preach and preach about run, run, and and, and run the ball behind this line, and like you said, I don't care who the quarterback is, you throw it 45 or 50 times. There's a good chance you're going to throw a couple picks because you're just going to. The defense is that good, and sometimes a quarterback makes bonehead plays. Frank still says that the, the first interception was on him. I I I understand him covering for the quarterback, but the, it, the it's the quarterback's throw. If you see the guy covered, don't throw it over there. I thought even before the the rookie jumped the, the route that he was. So you, if you throw the ball 45 times, some bad things are going to happen. And once again, please do subscribe to the Colts Blue Zone podcast to get Mike and Joe's thoughts on Monday after the game on a uh, at least almost every weekly basis here during the season. It'll be darn close to every week, if not every week. So um, that was just my uh, my little addendum, uh, my own personal addition to to what they had to say. But now we go to the news around the NFL and we start with some good news, guys. And that's uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting this week that uh, no Chiefs and no Texans players or coaches tested positive for COVID-19 after that season opening Thursday night game uh, that was played in Kansas City where there were, I think it was the most attended game of week one because the Jaguars game only had about 14. I think the Cheeks game had about 16,000, somewhere around there. I forget exactly how many they were. But uh, it was it was the first game of the year. It was the first road trip of the year. It's uh, the most fans that we had seen at, at a game in, in all of week one. And there were no uh, no positive tests. So, Joe, I think that that the league n- nobody's doing victory laps after week one. But uh, you can breathe maybe a little sigh of relief that uh, things seem to be working in terms of how they have things set up right now. Sure. I mean, it's a long season. The goal in goal is far more than just week one, but it definitely shows that it can be done. I think the only positive test was like a groundskeeper who wasn't even in the area by the time that, you know, players and coaches were on the field. So it just illustrates that you can play a game safely in safe conditions if protocols are followed. And hopefully, um, you know, there's more to come, a lot more negative tests. Yeah, Mike, we've talked about this all summer long. I- I've continually made the joke that it's our contractually man- mandated uh, COVID-19 update. But uh, I mean, who knows? Hopefully by week five or six, it, it won't be contractually mandated anymore if things continue to go this way. You know, we won't have any headlines, so there'll be not quite as much to discuss. At least that's what we're all knock on wood hoping for. Well, and that's this is a step by step process. It was well, how will it be in training camp when you get these players together and they go home and they come back? Worked out pretty well. W- worked out very well. And what happens when you have 16 teams going on the road? So, so that's encouraging. And again, we we weren't always. I wasn't always that optimistic back in June and July. I really wasn't. But this shows you that it can be done, and what it takes. I remember it was either Frank Reich or Chris Ballard said this is going to take the sacrifice from players not for training camp but not for one week but for the entire 17 weeks moving forward so all you can say is so far so good and 
it's like Joe said, it shows it can be done if you are on your on your point on your detail on how you have to do this. And we know the Colts will host their season opener with 2,500 fans this Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. The uh, Marion County Department of Health has approved a new plan for 7,500 fans for week three's game when the New York Jets come to town. So we're seeing a little bit more fans allowed in Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, you saw, like I said, in Jacksonville where I was, there were 14,000 people in the stands. It looked like a typical Jacksonville Jaguars game. Um, So I I had to get that shot in there. But uh, you had 17,000 people out there at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, there, there weren't too many places that hosted fans week one because there are only five or six uh, teams anyway that are, that are hosting fans right now at all. Um, but in, encouraging to see that as well, that, uh, even here, uh, locally, the, the Marion County department of health is approving a few more fans to see things ramp up a little bit. We don't have to discuss that one too much, but I'm sure we will dive more, a little bit more into the, uh, the hall of fame. And that's the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2021 modern era nominees. Uh, Michael be uh, certainly very hands on as a Hall of Fame voter himself in uh, in this. But uh, Colts, Peyton Manning, Reggie Wayne, Jeff Saturday, Bob Sanders, Dallas Clark made the cut uh, in uh, 130 candidates um, that will uh, narrow it way, 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 way down to uh, to uh, just the uh, the Hall of Fame class of 2021 when uh, on Super Bowl weekend. Uh, in February is when that that's announced. But um, Mike, we've we've spoken many times that um, and over the previous years we've seen it's not just spoken of, but uh, that the uh, the reward for the Colts' success in the 2000s is is making its way to uh, to the Hall of Fame committee, the the uh, kind of the gateway to uh, to the elite of the elite over the many many years of professional football. And uh, I, as you have said, Peyton Manning probably doesn't need too much of a uh, of a defense. A uh, couple of these. Other guys certainly will, but you're, you're going to be very active over the next few years, I'm sure, as, as these players get more serious consideration from the selection committee. Yeah, and in the next year or two, you're going to have Dwight Franey and Robert Mathis. So, you know, I think it just drives home the excellence of football we saw for that decade. You know, New England sort of skews things because, well, you weren't New England. Well, there were 30, 31 other teams that, that weren't the Patriots either. Take them out of the mix and and no team would have traded what the Colts did for that for that for that decade. Uh, Peyton, you know, Peyton's first ballot is will be one where you stand up and say Peyton and all that. R- Reggie's going to be, you know, it's his second year, and he made Final Fifteen last year. He'll, I would hope he makes Final Fifteen this year. He he's one of those guys that has to keep knocking, knocking on the door to get in. What people need to realize, and again, we won't let's not spend too much time on this, but there will be fifteen modern era finalists come February. Only five get in. Only five. Peyton's one. Charles Woodson's going to he's two. That leaves you three. I say that uh, Calvin Johnson's a first ballot guy. He walked away too soon. And let's keep in mind that I thought the Monday night broadcast was pretty pretty good until they kept beating the the, the horse that Stephen Goskowski is a Hall of Famer. (laughs) On what planet? I mean, on planet kicker. But uh, I, I just, it's hard to get in. And when you start having these first ballot guys, it keeps the Reggie Waynes and, and people like that out. So, and, and let's not forget, too, that the fact that the uh, COVID-19 postponed the, the ceremonies in, in August. It pushes over into next August. We hope that'll be the class of 2020, and that'll be Edron James. So it'll be a, a Colts. A Colts fest in Canton next August, we hope. 
I would imagine that uh, the Colts Joe will probably play in that game. But uh, you, you look at the modern era finalists and the, the names that I said, guys like Jeff Saturday, Bob Sanders, Dallas Clark, that were super pivotal to the Colts success. But uh, I'd say to Colts fans out there, you might have to tap the brakes to to see them uh, make their way into Canton because of guys like a Calvin Johnson, a Charles Woodson, uh, Peanut Tillman was on that list, who was guys who were first uh, first ballot yeah, or first year so there, there there's a lot of jared allen is is a great one that, that the mike brings up who is one of the best defensive ends in the nfl for for a five or six year stretch so um so i i encourage fans to be patient right now uh because as mike said i mean only five guys eventually make make that final cut for a single year yeah and Colts fans i mean they should be content with peyton and edrin kind of combining together for uh, yeah, 2021 i mean yeah. that, that that'll be a great year reggie wayne will probably take another year or two i'll be pulling for him it'd be great if we can get reggie in there as well and have a trio of colts but um dallas clark and bob sanders i'm not sure they'll ever quite get in i mean they had some great years but not as much sustained success um as reggie's and some of those other guys but <sighs> Like you said, patience. Yes, and uh, and we we have to, of course, still leave room, as Mike mentioned, for Stephen Guskowski on one uh, <laughs> yeah, one right. future uh, Hall of Fame list. <laughs> he shakes his head. And, yeah, and I, they, yeah. they kept bringing that up, and he missed three kick, four kicks, three field goals, and, and and an extra point. I'm thinking, would you just stop? You know, <laughs> in, in, at the, well, I think he kicked the game winner. Was it a 21 yarder, 25 yarder? Yes. Weren't, was looking, a- weren't you looking through your fingers because you were just thought he can't possibly make it or miss it but good god stop it as we mentioned kickers we'll also mention that the Colts signed kicker Matt Gay to the practice squad this week certainly not a uh, not a move to gloss over I'll just put it that way as uh, Rodrigo Blankenship did miss a 30 yard field goal this last week uh, as the Colts lost in Jacksonville uh, Gay hit less than 80% of his field goals last year playing for the Buccaneers was the NFL's fifth highest score last year. So he had a ton of chances, um, to, to hit less than 80% and still be, uh, be top five in scoring. You, you get a lot of field goal attempts there. Um, so Frank Reich said it's pretty common about half the teams in the league have that extra specialist on their roster. And, but, but I'll add to what coach Reich says, Mike, I think that's because half the teams in the NFL aren't too sure about their first kicker. Yeah, two things. We got on Adam Vinatieri for missing 14 kicks last year. Game missed 13. So, you know, it's not like any, what was he, a fifth round pick of the Bucks. Yep. Uh, but also the, the, the COVID year really makes things different. Because they, they expanded practice squads to 16. And what you simply have got to be prepared for is come Friday, your kick test pop. I mean, you, you've got to be prepared to have to step up and be ready to go. Uh, so it, it's not like you're going, to, you know, you, you come out of a game on Sunday and there's no injuries to your kicker. So you're okay going into to the next game, barring something. This is a case of every a lot of teams are having that insurance policy, whether it's a kicker, whether it's carrying two or three running backs or three linemen. You've got to you've got to prepare for the worst case scenario, because if you're not, who's kicking on Sunday? I mean, I, I, I guess Sanchez could, but uh, that's not where you want to be in a big game. I do wonder who the emergency kicker would be. Joe would probably support that emergency kicker over Adam Vinatieri's return. That's for sure. <laughs> He kicked in college, did if I remember correctly. I think so. Uh, I think you're right. So, but okay, but but then, but then who holds for him? I guess it's one of your. It's just that domino effect. 
and I with with 16 spot, it, it's not an advantage at all to have one, you know, quarterback, which you're normally going to do, but to have a kicker for that one spot, it, it just makes total sense to be prepared for whatever. The Colts also elevated wide receiver Darius Fountain to the 53-man roster from the practice squad after Marlon Mack goes to injured reserve. And uh, Reese, God bless him, I, I think he, he's had one or two opportunities to prove himself on the 53-man in his career. Um, obviously would have had more last year if he had been healthy. Um, it, I, I, I would say, you know, if, if he wants to make a career in the NFL or if he wants to kind of stay on, Joe, if he gets anything thrown at him, anything at all, he needs to take advantage of the opportunity. Just being being where he is in his career and his I think this is this the final year in his contract as a rookie or does he have one more after this? One one more. One more after this. Like just eventually your opportunities start to start to dwindle. So, I mean, pressure's on him for sure. And I I think he would agree with me when I say that. But uh, I'm eager to see if he can do anything, if he gets any opportunities um, based on what the Colts are able to throw out there this weekend. Yeah, and it's probably going to have to take some injuries to get him on the field. Probably I so. mean, he, he's at the bottom of the depth chart right now, and he's a guy who just needs to keep working, keep training, and if he gets that chance, take advantage of it. And this. he's a seventh wide receiver. I mean, we, we've yeah, talked well, about this. Well, yeah. in, in one position, Mike, you have seven wide receivers on this, uh, on the 53-man. You have seven linebackers on the 53-man. I mean, that that's 14 out of the 53 right there. I mean, that's those are crazy numbers that are taking away from, I mean, other way, places that you could have depth, offensive line, defensive line. So, um, obviously, there, there are reasons that the coaching staff have to have, to have that many players in, in those two specific positions. Well, I, and I think with, with Fountain, and we'll see, I, I'm with Joe, barring something squirrely injury-wise, there's a really good chance he'll be inactive on Sunday, but Zach Pascal showed up on the on the report with an ankle. Uh, he worked with trainers yesterday, and he was out there again with trainers. So, so there's a chance he doesn't play. Uh, but you still that, that leaves you with six. Ashton Doolin's a special teams guy, uh, but yeah, it's and again I, I keep coming back to this. the practice squad makes it different. And they, they've got eight offensive linemen on the active roster, which isn't very many normal. But they've got a couple, two or three on the practice squad that you can bring up if needed. But uh, I, I kind of agree. This is w- w- when Fountain gets a chance, if he gets a chance. It's it's kind of unfair, but he's really got to maximize. It's not like, well, I, I didn't make this one. I'll make the next third or fourth chance I get. Uh, again, injuries have kept him out. The, 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 the ankle last year was gruesome, and it just ended his uh, season in camp. Uh, he'll be hungry, but again, he's he's so far down the depth chart. It's going to take a couple of injuries to have him see the field. Well, as we're talking about injuries, we'll pivot to the injury report for this week. We'll uh, get it from Wednesday. The Colts missed uh, several Colts missed practice. Uh, Jack Doyle being the most noteworthy of the group with uh, ankle knee issue, did not practice. And uh, uh, word out at uh, Colts headquarters today on Thursday was Doyle did not practice again. We'll get the official injury report. will come out a little bit later. This podcast will drop a little bit later. We were saying before, like it always drops at like the same time when the injury report comes out Thursday and when this podcast comes out to the, to the public. But um, like I anticipate that Jack Doyle will be another did not practice. We did not see him out there today um, with Trey Burton on injured reserve, Joe. I mean, the Colts remaining tight ends. If Jack Doyle could not play, would be Mo Ali Cox, Noah Togi. Yeah, I would I would hesitate. Uh, I would not hesitate rather to say that you do not want to go into uh, your your game with those two guys as, as one two. that immediately takes you from at least acceptable 
if not better than acceptable, with a two-time Pro Bowl tight end Jack Doyle right there at that position to uh, a couple young guys who haven't done a whole lot in the NFL. Yeah, I saw um, Colts were one of the top teams in the league as far as running three wide receiver sets on Sunday, and that's going to continue, if not increase, if Jack Doyle can't play. It just limits what they can do. Um, it, it limits the two tight end sets that I'm, I know Frank Wright has for Doyle and Burton in his pocket whenever they're healthy. Um, so the Colts are going to have to lean on their wide receivers. And um, I, I, I'll just say it now, I'm predicting a big game for Paris Campbell in this one. Well, Paris had a pretty good game one. We can maybe talk about that a little bit later, but uh, he definitely uh, showed up more than he uh, did not show up last year uh, at certain times. So, and we mentioned wide receivers, Zach Pascal also missed practice Wednesday with an, with an ankle injury that he's dealing with and a safety Malik Hooker as well, an illness, uh, sat out Wednesday's practice. So we'll keep an eye on that injury report throughout the rest of the week, uh, Friday, uh, as well as when it comes out. And then of course, Sunday morning, when the final inactives come, you can follow us at Colts blue zone on Twitter, get some updates there. Uh, I am at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chapel is at M Chapel 51. Joe is at Roto Street Joe. So all of us tweet uh, quite often about the uh, Colts and their updates. So be sure to uh, follow us there to get the latest uh, in between Colts Blue Zone podcasts. But uh, as for the Vikings injury report, cornerback Cameron Dantzler did not practice on Wednesday. He had a rib injury. Uh, the rookie third round pick played uh, the most snaps out of all Vikings cornerbacks on Sunday, played 82 percent of their defensive snaps. Um, so and uh, he, he's he would certainly be a guy that uh, the Vikings would not want to lose out on, um, especially with a very young secondary, a very young cornerback group. Uh, Mike, this Vikings team, this defense used to be uh, just even two or three years ago, probably one of the most feared in the NFL. I would say they, they've undergone a little bit of a. Uh, a little bit of a upheaval, maybe not quite as much as the Jaguars did. Uh, we all saw how that turned out for the Colts, but uh, it's still a little bit, a little bit of upheaval from from last year, from two years ago to this year. And uh, in the secondary, they have a very young secondary as well. Uh, so this this is a, I mean, it's a unit that the Colts will certainly try to take advantage of their youth and try to exploit that uh, when they uh, when they meet on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday. Also, I can't remember the injury, but Danielle Hunter's on IR with a it was an ankle or knee or what it is. Pro Bowl defensive end, yes, on injured reserve. Had nearly 30 sacks over the last two years. Right. So, But then they, but then they get Nagakwe from uh, Jacksonville. Yes. Which I think Joe had in here. What do you have, one quarterback hit in, in the opener as he's trying yeah. to feel his way? No tackles, no sacks. Played about half the snap. So he's still getting integrated into the defense there. Again, this is this is one where it's not all on the Colts, but if they do what they need to do, they're going to come out and they're going to try to run the ball. I was looking at interesting. Each team, the Vikings and the Colts, ran the ball 22 times in the corner. The Colts had 80-some yards. Vikings went for 134. So they got a lot more out of their run game. But uh, when you get, uh, what was it that uh, Rodgers went for? 500-and-some yards overall, 300-and-some passing. So So... It, it, it would look to see well that that's playing into the cold strength throwing the football, but that, that's where you can't get lulled to sleep by 350 yards from rivers and 40 attempts. You can't do it. Get back to what you do. Don't make the stupid mistakes you made. And we can talk about it a little bit later, but if you go on two, you're just about out of the hunt. You're just about out of the hunt. Somebody showed me the stats that over the last since 2007, 2007, I think it's 
12 teams or 12 teams made the playoffs and a hundred of, of the 104 teams start 0 and 2, 12 made the playoffs. The Colts have done it once in, in their in their franchise here, one time within a non-strike year. So 0 and 2 is not a way to be what you want to be moving forward. You might want to attack the Vikings defense head on, Joe. Uh, you you trade or you let go of uh, Everson Griffin, signed with the Cowboys. Uh, Pro Bowl defensive tackle Linval Joseph signed with the Chargers. Uh, Michael Pierce, the guy you signed away from Baltimore to replace Joseph, opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID-19. So, uh, I, I mean, this was this was still a topic we kind of discussed last week, though. Like the Jaguars defensive line was kind of thrown together a little ramshackle, perhaps, because they had let go of guys like Kelly's Campbell and Marcel Darius. But this Vikings defense, you think going in is the same thing up front. It's it's a guy that I, I hesitate to say patchwork. That's maybe too strong a word, but it's it's a group that you just threw together this offseason. You have lost Pro Bowl guys from that line. So so you would think, again, you would have thought this last week that you would attack it with the run game. I would think at least the Colts should attack the front with the run game again this week. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm the idiot. And that That's that's perfectly fine. But that, that just seems to make more sense to me than the alternative. Yeah, I certainly hope the Colts learn their lesson from last week. I mean, you just don't want Phillip Rivers throwing the ball 46 times. He is not Aaron Rodgers. You're not going to get the same results. Um, they just need to pound the ball. And, and I think, you know, we kind of talked about the few times the Colts really needed a yard. The offensive line didn't really get the job done. Let them get into a rhythm. We've kind of seen those run heavy games. The line gets into a rhythm and then it get, just gets easier and easier for these guys. Um, so I, I hope to run the ball early and just really try and outrun the Vikings, which, you know, I think will be the Vikings game plan as well. And it's going to be tempting, man. It's going to be tempting to throw the ball because you're starting corners for the Vikings. It's Dantzler, who we mentioned earlier, who missed practice on Wednesday, your third round pick. Uh, Holton Hill was an undrafted free agent in 2018. Mike Hughes, a first round pick back in 2018. Uh, the Vikings also drafted Jeff Gladney in the first round of this past draft. So their top four corners are all year uh, 23 years old or younger. So it, it's very tempting to put it on the shoulders of your 38 year old quarterback, your experienced quarterback, your guy who's kind of a uh, pro football hall of fame tweener in, in Philip Rivers. Like maybe he's he's right on the cusp there. Like put it put it in his hands to to beat this really young secondary. But again, as we have said multiple times here, like that's 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 not what the Colts brought in Philip Rivers to do. That's at least what they told us this entire offseason. Not not having to win the game himself. Like yeah, you you don't bring him in for that reason. So um, after week one, I'm just hesitant, Mike, to to say the Colts are certainly going to run the ball. Uh, 40 times against the Vikings, even if I believe that's probably better than than throwing it 40 times. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I it's not that I lost faith in the offensive play calling, but it was just it was once again, it was just still so puzzling to me to to see what I saw this last uh, this last weekend. And I, I, I'm optimistic that they're going to do things a little bit differently in week two. Well, let me give you a stat that will make you even more resolved. Oh, great. About more. When Philip Rivers throws the ball forty plus times in a game, he's fourteen and forty-two. So you know, I mean, come on, you know, and, and it, a lot of quarterbacks are like Frank that. Write that. Yeah, I'll <laughs> off of here. But uh, <laughs> I, I, again, I the hard part with a run game is is to to have the patience to stay with it. Maybe you come out there the first drive in. in it, work you get stuffed in the second drive it's not what you want to be how how long these you know 
even knowing that if you stick with it, maybe in the second quarter or the second half, it's gonna it's gonna yield what you want. To do that, then to be able to have patience with the run game, the defense has got to play well. Because you know, let's say you have a three and out, and then, and then you're down three to nothing, and or four, seven to nothing. You try to run it again, it doesn't work, and then you're down again. All of a sudden, you're down ten to nothing or fourteen to nothing, and then then do you have the onions to stay with your run game? So it's a, it's a tough balance. I will be absolutely shocked if they run the ball twenty two times again this game. Absolutely shocked. So uh, I, I think they're they're serious about this. Getting back to the run game. And the, the good thing and the bad thing about the NFL, again, is it's a seven-day life cycle, but that means it's a seven-day knee-jerk reaction one way or the other. But, uh, again, you can't go down 0-2, and you can't have your quarterback, a 30-year-old quarterback, throwing the ball 45 times a game. It doesn't work. Mike, you mentioned the defense needs to step up if you're going to be a good run running offense just for those drives that might go three and out if, if you get stuffed one or two times. But... Um, the Vikings offense is has a couple playmakers out there for sure in a uh, wide receiver, Adam Thielen running back Dalvin cook um, Stefan Diggs now with the Buffalo bills. That was a great one two punch Joe in the past between Thielen and Diggs. Um, and Th- Thielen in spite of Diggs gone, he had a pretty good week one in, in their opener against against, uh, against green Bay. Oh yeah. He balled out. I mean, he's he, Kirk cousins has eyes for Thielen now that Diggs yeah. is gone. I mean, uh, 110 yards on six catches, a couple touchdowns. Uh, Adam Thielen, it's, I mean, he's going to be one of the, there's Thielen and there's Dalvin Cook. And if the Colts can shut those two mm-hmm. players down, easier said than done. But the Vikings offense doesn't have a lot left. Yeah, they have a couple good tight ends. But if they can really bracket Thielen, put Rocky Sin on Thielen, um, I thought they did a good job of containing DJ Chark last week. But then again, the, Jaguars. He did get in the end zone. He did get in the end zone on. I think it was like a six-yard um, touchdown reception. But if they can, if they can just bracket Thielen mm-hmm. and then make other pass catchers beat them, I think that's a good strategy. Yeah, uh, Kirk Cousins is. Uh, I think he's an above-average quarterback for sure in the NFL. He didn't have the greatest Week One numbers. He only had uh, 260 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception, also a couple carries for some extra yards. Uh, but but he's he's a guy, Mike, that is always a threat to to take the top off the defense like he he will throw it deep for sure. Thielen is a guy who can go after it deep. Their rookie uh, Jefferson out of LSU is another guy who can take the top off a of defense. So you, you don't have to be a, a, a 10 year veteran in the NFL to just run straight downfield and try to come down with the ball. So um, I, I would anticipate I, I think they're going to try to go deep. That's something that the Colts did not let the Jaguars do. We'll give them credit for that. They did not get beat. Uh, deep, the, the worst play that they got beat, beat, we already mentioned it, was the Keelan Cole touchdown in the fourth quarter where Xavier Rhodes gets caught looking in the backfield. But um, but to be able to to shut down another team that wants to go, I think, deep more often than, than the Jaguars would, that's going to be, I think, an added challenge this weekend to try to limit the deep balls when the Vikings are inside Lucas Oil Stadium. Well, and, and to throw the ball deep, it means you, you have to hold the ball another second or two. Yep. And, and and that gives your pass rush a chance to get home. Uh, I think DeForest Buckner had a few plays where where he got some pressure. I think he was he was responsible for Justin Houston's sack. And then Nico Autry comes up with two sacks. Somebody mentioned to him that he's on pace for thirty two sacks. <laughs> I'm pretty sure league record. But uh, you know the, the the give and take. And if you're going to throw the ball deep, you're going to expose your quarterback to pressure. And I think Kirk Cousins is a guy. 
a lot of quarterbacks are like this, but I think him as much as anyone, if you get to him early and you can rattle him, then he starts seeing ghosts or feeling pressure when it's not there. So, you know, the, the, it's, it's the old football one-on-one. Don't let Dalvin Cook, don't let them establish a run game because it, they're, they're like the Colts. If you, if you can run the ball, they'll run it 30 times for 180 yards. They'll, they'll just do it. So he can do, he's a great player. He'll get his. But force Cousins to make those deep plays. But again, and the Colts may do that by playing tighter. When, when you're getting cut apart like they are, like they did in, in Jacksonville, maybe you bring your – which makes you more susceptible to deep plays. The one deep play you didn't mention, or maybe we did earlier, with, was Rhodes getting interference or the defensive pass interference. I think right. it was, was it only Shark, I think. I think it was. So so you just you just can't give up the big plays. But at the same, at the, end of the same time, death by, by a thousand paper cuts, it's the same thing. So I think the, the – the, Focus and pressure is really on this defense to do something. You know, do you remember a play from remember a play, positive play from Anthony Walker, from Bobby Bobby Okariki had one tackle, was on the field for like, I don't know, was it 12 or 15 plays? So, you know, Kenny Moore had a couple of good plays and then he gets a horse collar tackle. So the defense has got to do its job so that the offense doesn't have to do too much. The run game, Joe, we haven't really talked about much for the Vikings yet, but they have uh, especially one Dalvin Cook, who is who's an explosive guy. Who if he if he breaks through that that first level, I mean, look out, he could outrun the secondary, no matter which secondary is out there on the field. And a pretty good backup too, in Alexander Madison, uh, who uh, they both of them rushed for fifty yards this last Sunday. Um, so so I mean, you can't just focus on Thielen and and uh, and Cousins. You have to of course pay attention to the run game as well because they have a pretty darn good one. Yeah, I mean, they just paid Dalvin Cook a lot of money for a reason. They're going to want to run the ball. I think Alexander Madison would start for a lot of teams in the NFL. Um, And so they're going to run the ball first and then try and um, once you come up on the run, they're going to try and hit you with Thielen. I I think, you know, it all comes down to the Colts defensive line, I feel like, in the passing game. I mean, do either of you guys have confidence that the secondary can hold up for three, four seconds every play? I don't think they've they haven't shown any reason to have any confidence, Mike. I agree. You know, until they showed otherwise, that's why. Do I trust Philip Rivers yet? No, because until you see it for a couple of games, you don't. But yeah, you're right. After what we saw in December and then the first game this year, what gives you confidence in the secondary? Yeah, so they're they're going to need to get the cousins quickly. I really want to see a big game out of DeForest Buckner. The Vikings' offensive line it's not terrible. I would say it's maybe average. It's definitely not a strength of the team. Um, they have a good scheme and they have really excellent running backs. But aside from their uh, second year center, uh, I believe Garrett Bradbury he was a first round pick. He's a very good center. But the rest of their players on their offensive line are just average level players. So I really think the Colts, if they can get to Cousins quickly and like you said, rattle him early. I think that could be a huge determining factor. And that's a good pivot to our keys of the game this weekend as the Colts host the Vikings inside Lucas Oil Stadium Sunday afternoon. Uh, that, that was your our, our first key. Can the Colts get pressure on Kirk Cousins? I mean, you can't 
you can't give the wide receivers time to get down the field and get open. Um, the, the running game, if they're able to establish a bit of a running game, it's certainly going to be a little bit more difficult uh, to do that because it just slows down the pass rush. The running game does. So um, can you get pressure on Cousins in those obvious passing situations? Danico Autry had one of those good Danico Autry games, Mike, in, in week one that we two years ago, we saw a couple of games where he was just a monster and was in the backfield. It seemed like on every play last year, not quite as much. Um, and now that he's moved back outside, you're asking him to do a little bit more. It's not just penetration. It's it's get around the the, the line as well. So um, with with Kamoko Ture out for the first six, seven weeks of the season, uh, your quote unquote speed guy might be Danico around the edge to see if he can get some pressure there on a Kirk Cousins. Yeah, in, in my business, this is called we've buried the lead on keys to the game. Has anyone mentioned Jonathan Taylor yet? Nope, we have not. I mean, he's going to make his first NFL start in his second game. And it's great when you keep flashing back to all the yards and all the carries and all the 50, 60, 80-yard runs at Wisconsin. Now it's in the big boy league. Yep. And how will he transition? We saw a few bursts the other day in Jacksonville. What was it, nine carries for 22 yards, which mm-hmm. is misleading because he had two or three plays where in short yardage didn't work. How, how much are they going to feed him, lean on him? If they run the ball 30 times, he needs to get 15 to 18, I think. I, I just, I've never, and this isn't meant as a knock on Naheem Hines at all. Frank sees him as a three-down back. I wonder how he would hold up as a three-down back. 12 carries a game, I think he would wear down. Uh, so this has got to be Jonathan. And maybe Jordan Wilkins uh, be, being the guy to get a few more backup carries than even, than even Hines. But if, if they're going to run the ball like they need to, the offensive line needs to step up and, and, and put three or four massive plays, bad plays behind it, and feed the rookie and see where he takes you. Yeah, Joe, who runs the ball more effectively on Sunday could could be vitally important. I mean, the, Vi- the Vikings fell behind the Packers last week, and they had to throw more. I'd imagine, like the Colts, they're going to want to run the ball more than they did week one this weekend and week two. That's right. It's really comes down to who can outrun the other team and who can get more pressure on the opposing quarterback. And and, and I mean, that kind of goes down to a lot of games in the NFL, but mm-hmm. specifically these teams, that's what these teams were built to do. Um, I think the Colts have a better chance of getting the pressure. But as far as the run game, I think if Jonathan Taylor, if he gets going early, he could wind up with close to, you know, 25 or so carries because Frank Wright's going to keep feeding him, keep feeding him, keep feeding him if it works. Um, so I think Jonathan Taylor is going to wind up with the big game in this one. I believe the Packers averaged 4.9 yards per carry on the ground last week. So um, Minnesota certainly didn't do anything to discourage the Packers from running the football. I think uh, Naheem Hines is going to get a lot of run as well. It, it kind of seemed like before Marlon Mack got hurt, they were kind of ease Jonathan Taylor in very slowly. Ha. That, that That's no. not happening anymore. No. And then my other kind of question that'll be interesting to watch for this game is, are they going to target the running backs as often? You know, the 17 uh, passes to running backs the last game, are they going to keep feeding him that way? Are they going to try and get them their touches, uh, you know, with carries more often? It's going to be interesting to see how this backfield is utilized, but I believe Jonathan Taylor is going to be the main piece of it. There's probably going to be mistakes that Taylor makes out there. You know, you you jump to the wrong side and pass pro. It's going to happen. 
He might fumble. It's probably going to happen. That was a problem in college that uh, Tom Rathman, Colts running back coach, has really had to work on him a lot with. They've, we've talked about this throughout the offseason. He's commented on it. So like, it, I, you can't expect a rookie to come in and not have any mistakes. And that's what the Colts are trying to do, as you were alluding to, Joe, like just limit, um, limit what he has to do. Because you have Marlon Mack out there. You have Naheem Hines out there. Those guys had... Uh, a lot of expectations. They they had a lot of play early on in this game. Like Jonathan, we were saying in the in the in the booth up there. Like where's J, where's JT? We haven't seen him yet. Then he gets the one like thirty plus yard screen pass that he gets down inside the five. So you see right there something that he is asked specifically to do that he can do very very well. Well now you see how how can you handle Mike everything that's going to be thrown at you because because now there there there's no there's no training wheels anymore for Jonathan Taylor. We're going to see what he can do with the full. The full bore, the full load, everything put upon him as the starting running back uh, with Marlon Mack now out for the year. And, and, and Joe touched on and nothing may be more important than pass protection. You know, you, you botch a run and you take the wrong hole. It's, it's, it's no gain or minus one. You, 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 and you might get your quarterback smoked. Worst case, a forced fumble. So that that may be where you try to limit where he is, Marlon Mack was an excellent protector. Hines is good at it. Uh, it's always risky. I'd I, I like to know how much pass protection Taylor did at Wisconsin. Uh, I, I, probably not much. Uh, and, and that's something you either like to do or you don't like to do, and you can either do it. I guess you can teach a guy to do it, but so much of that is want to. And even if they don't throw the ball 45 times, which hopefully they won't, there are going to be occasions where that running back JT being in there a lot, we'll have to pass protect. Another key to this game, can the Colts actually finish drives with touchdowns? Now, I'll, I'll say, can the Colts just finish drives? I mean, they had nine drives against the Jaguars. They had zero punts against the Jaguars. They only had 20 points against the Jaguars. If you have nine drives and no points and 450, 460 yards, you expect to end the game with more than 20 points for sure. So uh, third most in the NFL on Sunday in terms of yardage on offense um, Joe, that can't happen again. You, you need to be able to finish drives. You need to be able to get points. And as you wrote here and specifically, it needs to be touchdowns in order to, to get ahead and, and force the Vikings to be one dimensional, get them away from that run game. So you're able to kind of pin your ears back and go after the quarterback. Well, if you're able to finish those drives early and kind of step on their throat a little bit, it just completely limits what they can do on offense. Oh yeah. I mean, they were moving the ball very well on Sunday against the Jaguars. They just left points on the board, whether it was, you know, Mike and I talked about it on Monday. We don't think it was the wrong decision to go for it on fourth down, but by doing that, you're leaving those three points on the board. If you don't get it. Um, and then just the turnovers from rivers, they just need to handle their business. I almost feel like they got a little cute last Sunday like Frank Wright had all these new weapons he's got his old buddy back Philip Rivers and he wanted to do all these things and he kind of just got carried away with it they need to and get we back had, to we had our Jacoby, and we had our Jacoby reset moment yeah that was the <laughs> cutest moment of them all oh god I we were joking in the media about what is it what's the over under on his on his touches this year and whatever it is it need, I need to take under <laughs> I just I and again it's that snapshot moment but one of the reasons they want to do Brissett that way is his ability to run. What ability slower, to run? He had a slower 40 times, somebody pointed out, than Peyton Manning did. Yep. So it, it's it's one of those where you want to say, yeah, let's not do that again. But they will. 
Uh, but that one, and again, he said he said the first time we shoot, showed that it shouldn't have been the read option because Jacksonville, you know, it was like they were in the huddle. Yeah, uh, but it, it's uh, I, I just I, I'm not I'm not in favor. I'm not in favor of taking off your best players and looking for gimmicks. But next time, if it works, I'll probably no. I still won't. I still won't like it. I just don't like that. I don't like that package. The Colts have enough good players, good starting players as it is. Just use them. You don't need to bring in Brissett, who you just made your backup. If he could run, we would have seen it last year when half the wide receivers on the team were out with injuries, and he would have ran for a lot more yards. It, j- it just doesn't make sense. Just simplify your game plan, get the ball to your good players, and let them make plays. Last key to the game, who wins the turnover battle? Uh, obviously, the Colts let two slip away this last week. Defense didn't do a whole lot in terms of uh, making big plays and those uh, game-changing plays that we've seen in the past from guys like Darius Leonard or uh, or whoever it might be. Um, so uh, Jaguars had 10 points off turnovers. Right there's the game. That's the game. Um, it's 27 to 20 ball game at the end of the day. You don't get those 10 points. You don't win the game. And and our tone is completely different this week. It's oh that Frank Reich. Oh, he was he was aggressive. He was throwing the ball. Surprise, surprise, everyone. But don't worry, the run game will come. That that that's not the tone. It's, this a, week. it's, am- it's amazing. Yep. How the tone changes based on the bottom line. You're, you're exactly right. Uh, takeaways. You got to figure that the Colts have to take the, to win the take turnover battle. They've got to take it away three times. I'm expecting a Taylor fumble. I just am. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting a Rivers interception. So, and I don't mean to be negative about that, but that's that's just their history. Uh, I see pressure on Cousins. I see him either giving it up, sack, fumble. So I, I, I do see them creating turnovers this week. But at the same time, I expect a couple of take or turnovers by these guys. So now it's time for game predictions. Game predictions. Colts and Vikings this weekend inside Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll go back to last week. Uh, both Joe and Mike. What's that? What? Now, well, well, I'll just say, well, all, all we'll say about last week, I was the only one who uh, who you would have made money off of if you were if you were going by uh, betting lines. When I told you that uh, eight points was a whole lot, a whole, whole lot for the Colts. Um, so even though all three of us picked the winner wrong, I picked the line correctly. So uh, so make sure you all remember that. Joe, what is the? I don't even know what the line is for this week. Hang on. Let me let me look that up, actually, while. Uh, We'll let we'll let you two guys uh, go and um, give your predictions for the final. I'm gonna log on real quick to see what the uh, what the betting lines are, so that uh, we can we can have that uh, for next week as well. So, Joe, I'll start with you. Predictions for Week Two: Colts uh, Colts against the Vikings. And then we'll go to Mike, and then I'll round things out. I think this is gonna be a close game. I think they're both teams are gonna make mistakes, kind of like Mike alluded to, and it's gonna be a. Um, Kind of a back and forth battle. I'm gonna go 27, 23 Colts in this one, but I don't feel great about it. Mike, Mike's, Mike doesn't like it. What do you got, Mike? I wrote, I wrote mine down. I've got 27, 22. Good guys. So okay. we're both in the same ballpark again. I just this is see this is where I get selfish because I don't want to think about 0 and 2 writing that we have to do next week on how <laughs> difficult it's going to be. So uh, th- this is one more selfish. I hope they win just because it'll be a heck of a lot better covering these guys next week at one and one with the Jets coming to town than the Jets coming to town. Yeah. 
And I mean, the Vikings are in the same boat. They dropped the first game as well. So, you know, you hate to call the second week a must win, but you gave the stats about teams that start 0-2. So both teams are really going to be fighting for this one. Vegas says the Colts are three-point favorites at home against the Vikings, and the uh, the over-under there is uh, 48.5. So you guys are both pretty much right on the money in terms of your guesses. Like the Vegas is predicting a 26-23 ball game, basically, is what it comes down to. Um, I'm going to go a around there, but uh, I, I think I'm going to go... Once again, I will take uh, if I was a betting man and uh, I will once again, I'm just going to say this as someone who covers the Colts. I'm not going to bet on the Colts or or against the Colts. I just think that's not a good idea personally. Um, but I'm I would say I would take the three points again, too, um, that the Vikings get. But I whew, uh, do I want to pick against the Colts uh, on the show to say that they're going down 0-2. Oh, I am boy. keeping count. So I know. Uh, I do see that. So, so <laughs> while we're all zero and one, if somebody's gonna have to, if somebody's gonna pull pull ahead, uh, then somebody needs to make bold proclamations. Um, boy, I'm no. Nah, I mean, I still find myself picking the Colts um, this week, but like I said, I would probably take those three points. So it's gonna come down to how much do I want to do I want to give it? I would say. Let's go 26-24, the final. 26-24 Colts. So, yeah, it's right around that same same age, same age, same score line. But um, I, I I could certainly see a, uh, a scenario where Rodrigo Blankenship has to kick a field goal to win this game or uh, whoever the Vikings kicker is has to come in and make a kick to win this it's game. Dan Bailey. It's Dan Bailey. Okay. Former cowboy who he was with the Vikings last year too, at least for part of the year. So, so yeah. Um, but I, I, I think a field goal game is, is a good bet between these two teams. Both of them are going to be fighting. I mean, like, like we've said, neither team wants to go down to O2 Mike. So I, I think it's going to be one where you scratch and claw until the final whistle this weekend. Game trivia. You remember, you know, the last time the Vikings beat the Colts. When? 1997, final game of the season, and it led to Peyton Manning being a Colt. Aha. Uh-huh. How about so, that? There you so go. even even when you lose, good you things win. happen to the Vi- right. against the Vikings. So Not there we go. There. Yeah. So we pick we all pick the Colts once again. You can read plenty of Mike's work online at fox59.com, cbs4.com, leading up to this weekend's game. Colts Vikings inside Lucas Oil Stadium, one o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. You can follow us on Twitter as well. The Colts Blues at Colts Blue Zone, rather, not the Colts Blue Zone, just at Colts Blue Zone. I'm Dave Griffiths. You can follow me at Dave G underscore sports. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. And Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 You can help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. We'd certainly appreciate that. Also submit any questions you might have via Twitter, and we'll be sure to get those answered on next week's podcast. We do thank you so much for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we'll see you next week when week three comes around. 